Thanks for tuning in to the IGM podcast. We're so glad you've decided to explore God's word with us. We look forward to connecting with you in email at infointegritygm.com or online at our website, www.integritygm.com. We hope this podcast encourages you to grow in the knowledge of God through his word. Be blessed. Blessings to everyone today and greetings in the name of Yeshua the Messiah. Today we're going to be looking at the evangelical movement, and this is part two of understanding the evangelical movement and different subcategories or submovements within that movement. When we talk about the evangelical movement, we are speaking about those within the Protestant understanding of Christianity that believe that Scripture alone is our authority and gives us guidance on a daily basis, and we believe that Scripture is the Word of God. It's not; It doesn't just contain the Word of God. It is the Word of God, and it is the Word of God that guides us in everything that we believe, everything we preach, teach, and how we live our lives. And so in evangelicalism, we believe in one God, We believe in one Messiah that comes from God who is one with the Father. The Father sent the Son, and there is salvation in the name of Jesus Christ, and that he is the only way to the Father, and salvation, eternal salvation, comes by faith in him, that we're saved by the grace of God through faith in Yeshua, the Messiah, and we stand complete in him. And so within this movement that is probably between half, uh, 500 million people all the way up to a billion Christians around the world, there are many subgroups that have come out of this evangelical movement. It's a movement. It's not a denomination. And so one of the groups that we talked about last time was the Hebrew Roots Movement. And I'm not going to go back and look into that again, but you can go back and listen to that podcast. Now, Alan is with me today, and we're going to look today at the Word of Faith movement that started to develop very strongly in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and today is starting to die out a little bit, and I want to say praise the Lord for that, that developed and became very strong within America and parts of Europe and in different places around the world as they were very missions-minded. And so we see them going into Central America, South America, into Africa, into Asia, and bringing the gospel that was a different gospel, I believe, not in the sense that we see in the letter that Paul wrote to the Galatians, but a different gospel in this sense that the focus became more about your physical well-being, about how much money you had, and it became known as the prosperity gospel. Now, we look back on this, and we see the damage that it has done to those within evangelicalism. But first of all, let's talk about some of the good things that came out of the Word of Faith movement. Now, when Alan, when I was in Bible college, I was a minor, minority when it came to the Word of Faith movement because Christian television was just saturated with the Word of Faith preachers and teachers. And they had huge churches 
churches of 1,000, 5,000, 10,000, 20,000. And every service and every time you went to one of their meetings, money became a focal point of everything within that service. And I can remember being in Bible college and being in a dorm, and they were all into all of these teachings, and I was kind of the thorn in the flesh to many of them. I would give them a hard time, and I would say, this is not the message of Christ. This is not how Christ lived. This is not God's Word. This is not the New Covenant. And uh, you're not looking at the Word of God in its complete context to understand the message of Christ. And they would always say the right things. They would say, well, I want to get wealthy and to have many things so I can use it for God's kingdom. And Alan, I would say to them, God doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your car. He doesn't need your jet. He doesn't need anything. What he needs is your heart. And what you're focused upon is going to change your heart. And uh, I don't know if you have any comments before we... uh, go down this road yeah um you know i was i was similar um growing up uh you know on the side i saw um i think maybe in in some of the the positive things like we're going to talk about here about it um you know what i what i saw mostly with it as a kid was around healing um which i think there were some good things you know gleaned out of there where you know you're believing god's word and you're you know believing for healing and stuff but anytime you know the money was mentioned and, you know, it talked about you You deserve to have the Cadillac or the new car. I mean, just personally, there was a check in my spirit, um, you know, and I feel like the Holy Spirit really checked me and kept me from, you know, getting involved in those teachings, which I thank God for. But, you know, in my mind, I always said, well, look at Jesus's life. You look at Paul, the apostle's life. You look at Peter's life, you know, any of the disciples, you know, they they weren't, you know, taking the cruise on the great Persian ship across the seas and living lavish. You know, their life was a life of service, of sacrifice, um, and ultimately dying, um, you know, for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and what they were doing to serve him. So, you know, it never really matched up with, with what was taught, what I knew was taught in the Bible. It's a real easy thing to grasp to because we all, in our own, you know, selfish kind of fleshly nature, you want to be successful. You want to be Number one, you want to have these nice things um, just as a human. And when you can hear a preacher or a teaching or a movement speak to that, and that's something you want, and that's kind of your your internal motive. Um, And if you don't check that, it's very easy to get on board with that. And I think that's where a lot of people got the the blinds pulled over their eyes. Um, And it was due to to bad shepherds out there saying, yes, this is what the Lord wants you to have that million-dollar condo. You know, well, what about the people that are dying, you know, in the Middle East? You know, does he not want that for them? Why aren't they getting it? Are they not good Christians? So that kind of always put a check in my heart um, when you'd hear people just go full force about it's about money and, and success. Um, but, yeah, it was very interesting, and you did see a divide. And people that were really into it really bought into it and really believed that, and it was hard to talk to them and tell them any different. Right, and uh, we do need to talk about a few of the positive aspects because as you're speaking, I'm ready to go down the, <laughs> the road of just breaking down. And uh, remember when Paul said to, to Timothy, I want you to reprove, rebuke, and to encourage. And so I'm ready to break down the Word of Faith movement and to show how devastating it was to believers. 
And there are believers today that are no, no longer walking in the faith because they bought into this and they believed it with everything within them. And it, when it fell apart, because their faith was in what they were teaching, they're no longer following the Lord today. But let's do talk about some, some of the positive things first. Yeah, one more precursor that I, I mentioned, and, and this I saw living in New York City you know, for the past 18 years or so. It's hurt the way we, we can effectively witness and share the gospel because in their mind they say, well, you're getting fooled and deceived because all these people just want your money and they're using, you know, they call us sheep and they call us all these things. You're just in a cult and, and they're just here for your money. So I think it really hurt um, us bringing the gospel to non-believers because they have this picture of someone on TV, you know, saying, send me 10 grand and you're going to have the, the house and the Lord's going to bless you. Yes, and I agree with you. That is the other side of it as well. The unbeliever, the walls that are put up and the excuses that are given to them because they're not really bringing the real gospel. And uh, so let's talk about some of the positive standpoints first, and then we'll start breaking it down. One of the positives that took place, and this is coming out of, of an American culture, now, remember, we, we live in one of the most prosperous societies ever here in America, in the West. So it's coming out of that culture. One of the positive things, I'm getting there, is that people, the part of this movement, had faith to believe God for anything within their lives. And so they believed that God could save anyone, that God could restore their family, and the prayer, as they would pray, they're not praying, Lord, let your will be done. There's not anything wrong with praying in the will of God. Uh, I will never say there's anything wrong in praying in the will of God. But a good Pentecostal, charismatic, and even those that came into the Word of Faith movement, they're praying in faith, believing God is going to do a miracle within your life, within their life. And God honors prayer. And God responds to our faith. Now, if you're coming from a Calvinist background, maybe that's difficult for someone to believe. But God has sovereignty, sovereignly given us the ability, the free will, to pray and to petition God and to move the heart of God. And we see in the Bible where men prayed and it touched the heart of God, and at times it changed the mind of God. God responded to the prayer, and God brought forth an answer to that prayer for what that person was praying for. And people within the Word of Faith movement, they knew how to pray. And so that's a positive aspect. You go to their prayer meetings, they're praying. Yeah, they were they were moving mountains with that, you know, and that mustard seed faith, you know, scriptures they would they would bring up, and they really believed that, and then and it was powerful, you know. I think growing up, I saw some pretty you know miraculous things in people's lives, you know, right. just through prayer and, and things that you could say, God really did this, and right. and it was no way it could not be God, and, right? And they yeah. were praying in that way and believing it, and they're having faith, faith for a person to be healed. And I believe in healing. They're having faith that someone that is down and out financially, no, we're going to pray and believe God that God's going to put food on your table and God's going to give you a job. And, and they would pray 
in the name of Jesus, believe in God, and I believe God honors prayer and God honors faith, and you would see miracles take place, and you would see the supernatural working within the faith of the people as they sought God. So that's one of the positive things. I never saw a person within the Word of Faith movement that did not believe that God could not answer prayer. I mean, they were 100% going forward with prayer. Um, and so they were so in tune with prayer that, and so believing God that if you said anything negative, you know, they would immediately come against you in the name of Jesus. <laughs> uh, and so um, now that's, a neg- that's something I want to talk about as well, not in a positive sense, but they had an answer for everything. If you, if you were sick, oh, no, you're not sick. You just have the symptoms. You're healed in Jesus' name. You know, they have faith, but then they're creating excuse mechanisms for why someone is sick. And so this began to evolve into their theology. See, they have a theology that if you pray, it has to happen. If you have faith, it has to happen. If you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be removed. And so they really believe God. So when it didn't take place at different times, they built excuse mechanisms of why it didn't take place. And so the positive was they had faith, but at the negative, they had an answer for every time that they didn't see what they were praying for taking place. And so let's look at, um, can you think of anything else that was positive about the Word of Faith movement? I will say this, they would preach a message of salvation as well. So in the midst of all of this garbage that I will call it, that they began to promote, they also preached a simple message that we're saved by the grace of God through faith in Christ. If you will put your faith in Christ, you will be saved. So they had the essence of the gospel there, but what was the problem was everything that went with it, all the other teachings that became to the forefront of everything that they were doing. So positive. They taught people to have faith, to believe God for anything. Secondly, they did preach a gospel that you're saved by the grace of God through faith in Christ. Now, Alan, you can put baloney. Some people may not understand what baloney is, but it's not good food. (laughs) But you can put baloney on a paper plate or on fine china, and you can dress it up really nicely. But no matter how you slice it, when you put it in your mouth, it's still baloney. Mm -hmm. And when we start going to the negative, when I start looking into the Word of Faith movement and the prosperity gospel, it can be packaged real nicely. And they can have some good things here and there. Every movement always has some good things. But when you start digesting what actually they are teaching as a whole, it's a lot of baloney. It's not good meat. It's not good food. It's stuff that you're putting inside of your spiritual man that actually are going to lead you down to a path that you're going to be vomiting it up later on. It's not good for you. That's how I should say it. It's not good for you. And this is what has happened to the Word of Faith movement. So in the negative aspect of the Word of Faith movement, 
and I have friends that were part of it that are still part of it today. I have individuals that um, my father had a, a man on his staff that was, got into it, and he had to let him go because he got into it so heavily. He went out and started his own church. And everything was about wealth and health and prosperity that whatever you believe God for, you should have. He had his own private jet flying around the country. He was on television. But all of a sudden, he went bankrupt. The church went bankrupt, had to sell everything, and the jet was gone. Now, I don't know where he is today, but that was a man, a minister of the gospel, that got into that that I remember as a small child. That my father, who was not someone that would preach that or teach that, had to let go from his staff. So I have friends that are in it today, friends that used to be part of it. We see that it is still around, but they don't have the big churches anymore. Why don't they have the big churches anymore? They're still holding on. You still see them on television. You still hear them asking for your seed faith money. Send money in and God will give you tenfold more and God will bless you more than what you have given to them. And so when we see this, they're still around today, but they're not increasing, they're decreasing because their message was wrong. They took the message off of Christ and a life of denying yourself, taking up your own cross and following him, and it became about you are a child of the king and you should have the very best of the best, talking about the physical things, the temporary things of this world. And people got their eyes on God to get things instead of putting their eyes on God for repentance and saying, God, everything that I have is yours and I'm going to live a life of contentment before you, God. And the new covenant turned the kingdom upside down because under the old covenant and under the law, you had the blessings and the curses. And the more that you had faith in God, the more that you would honor God, the more you would keep the law of God, the more that God would bless you financially. The more sons you would have, the more finances that you would have. And we see this kingdom that was on the earth that would be a kingdom that would expand as they trusted God and had faith in God and followed the law of God. When Yeshua comes, when Jesus comes, the law is bringing us to him, and the law will be fulfilled in him. He turned the world upside down. He turned the kingdom upside down. The more you have faith in him, the more you're going to be persecuted. If you'll read John chapter 15, everyone that is listening, go through John chapter 15. He is the vine, we are the branches. If the world hated him, they will hate us. If the world persecuted him, they will persecute us. The more that we're connected to the Lord Jesus Christ and follow him, the more that the life that Jesus lived will be the way that we live. Now think about this. He didn't even have a home, a place where he could lay his head. His life was not about getting the best of the best. Now, the prosperity teacher would say this, but when, they, when he died, they put a purple robe on him showing that he was a rich man. 
I actually heard them preaching that. <laughs> they were putting that robe on him to mock him. You who say that you're the king of the Jews, we're going to mock you. We put a crown of thorns on his head. Are they going to say because he had a crown of thorns on his head, that means that he was a wealthy man? They're mocking him. They're putting the crown of thorns because he said that, they, that he declared or they were declaring, here is the king of the Jews. But he was a, lie, a man that lived simply among us. He was not living for this world. He was living a life to be the spotless lamb of God, going to the cross to die for our sins, even though he had not committed any sin, so that we might live through him, that our sins would be forgiven by his death. And his resurrection shows that we have been justified in his name. And so when he turns to his disciples, he does not say to them, if you want to be my disciple, you have to have enough faith in order to believe God, in order to have a big mountain, so you have enough money so that we can reach this world for Christ, reach this world with the good news. He says, deny yourself, take up your own cross, and come and follow me. And if you cannot do that, you cannot be my disciple. That was his message. He never had a message to his disciples. You come to me, and I'm going to give you all the things that you're desiring within your life. He says, no, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. What are they? Shelter, clothing, food. We're not talking about big mansions that we can have for ourselves. In fact, he's not talking about anything like that. He's talking about how God knows how to take care of his children. But what should be our focus is not the clothes that we wear, not the food on our table, not the house in which we live in, but it's the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This is what Jesus is saying to his disciples. This is where the Word of Faith movement got off the path. And it incorporated people into a movement that it was all about, are you physically well? Do you have a nice home? Do you have a nice car? Do you have the nicest or the best of the best clothing on your body? Look at your ring. Why, didn't you, why did you get that ring? Look at your clothes. Why are you wearing those clothes? God wants the very best for you. And this is what I would say to them that I still say to this day that gets them so angry when I talk with them. I say to them, I will never be more blessed than I am right now in the Messiah. So quit cheapening the gospel of talking about blessing by me having better clothes. Just throw that away because I'm the most blessed man on the face of the earth. And so why are you wanting to cheapen the gospel? And so that's how we should live. What is our response to the gospel? Deny ourselves, take up our own cross, and follow him. Die daily. It's not about us. It's all about him. Amen. And so I don't know if you want to comment on this, but this is getting to the very heart of where this movement went the wrong direction. Yeah, and I was just thinking, Scott, while you were talking, um, 
You know, and I think about almost all of these movements that you're going to cover in this start off good. And I think that's that's one of the tricks of the enemy that if you've, you know, grew up in the church, you've heard this, you know, when when the when Satan tempted Jesus, um, you know, when he was fasting in this time of temptation, he used the word of God and he tried to pull these things out. And it was scripture that Satan would come at him with, but it was in the wrong context. And I think that's that's some of the most dangerous things as evangelicals or as Christians is someone that's getting something that's 90% there, but there's this 10% that's off, that's wrong, and that throws off the whole thing. And that's, um, you know, when Jesus was speaking and talking about, you know, little leaven leavens the whole bunch, you know, a little wrong teaching in this things that start out good and maybe their heart was in the right place at the beginning, but if it takes a wrong direction, and it goes outside of, like you said, following Jesus and putting Christ mm-hmm. first. And and you're right, we're blessed more than we can ever be, ever, because we have the Messiah, we have Jesus in our life. Um, and then also when you said said that too, it reminds me, you know, Jesus says, is the servant greater than the master? You know, so Jesus, he had no home. You know, he wasn't living in a mansion. He went to a cross and died a horrible death and put the sins of the world on him. And he's saying, is, is the servant's going to be greater than the master Jesus. So, you know, whether we're blessed physically, you know, financially in this life is a non-issue and that's up to the Lord, you know, and his ways are higher than our ways. Um, but yeah, I just think that's really, really dangerous. And, and, and I think the Holy Spirit speaks to us in that inner voice and things will match up with the word of God. And if some, someone's preaching doesn't line up with it, you know, contextually with it, original intent, um, you know, that's when you have to start, checking that. And I would challenge anyone listening, if you feel something on the inside of you speaking to you that something may be off, really listen to that and really figure it out for yourself. I wouldn't take the word of a, you know, pastor or, or somebody. Just really make sure you explore that and say, Holy Spirit, you know, God, show me, is this a right teaching? Is this the right way? Because I think with the Word of Faith movement, a lot of people didn't do that. It played to their desire to want to be successful. Of course you want to be successful, and I don't think inherently that that's not a bad thing in a way. It can be if that's your idol. Um, you want to be healed, right? That's You don't want to walk around sick. Nobody says, hey, I want to wake up and be sick, you know? It's just, but it plays to that, and, you know, you have to check, is that your motive? Is it about you, or is it about really about the gospel and doing what Jesus wants to do in your life and what he wants you to do in your life, not getting what you want in your life. Right. Uh, And let me respond to some of the things that you said. You had some powerful points there. Uh, Some things are quoted out of context. And at the same time, some things are quoted in context, but not in the context of the whole Bible. Think about when um, Satan was tempting Jesus. He starts quoting Psalm chapter 91 and about God's protection And he tells him to throw yourself down from the pinnacle of the temple. But Jesus says, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. It is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. So we interpret scripture by scripture. And sometimes something is quoted even within context for that situation, but they forget about the whole of scripture. And a lot of these movements, they take one truth but they don't compare it to a truth on this other side as well. And this is so apparent within the Word of Faith movement. And when Paul talks about a little leaven leavens the whole batch, 
when we look at this, this is something that's talking in that context about sin and, and a lifestyle of sin that can destroy the whole body. Yet this is in the context of what we're teaching. But I believe that this teaching can live, lead to a lifestyle of not living in contentment, but in a lifestyle of wanting more and more and more that leads people away from the faith. And so it can be something that destroys the whole body, that brings damage to the whole body. And so when you, when you look at these truths, that it is so important that we have sound teaching that is coming from the whole of Scripture, and what was the life of Christ? What was his life? We are not greater than our master, you said. What the life of Christ was, how he lived, should be the life that I live. And when you get into Paul's writings in Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. So when I think about this life of following the Messiah, it's not about me because I died. Have you ever gone to a cemetery, and at the cemetery, those individuals are dead. They're in the grave. And so they don't have dreams and aspirations about the future because their life has come to an end in the flesh. And so it's over with. So not anything is about their life, their aspirations, uh, anything, because they're dead. As a follower of Christ, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. So it should never be about me when I come to Christ. But I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But it's Christ who lives in me. So what we want to see is the life of Christ, the Spirit of God, the, the Spirit of the Messiah, a circumcised heart changed from the inside out. But it's Christ who lives in me. In this life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith. In the Son of God, the one who loved me and gave up his life for me. So it's not about a life of going out and getting the best of the best of what this world has to offer. I'm a child of the King and God owns everything. And why wouldn't God want me to have a Cadillac? Why wouldn't he want me to have a Mercedes, a BMW? And why shouldn't I live in a mansion? I'm a child of the king. That's what they used to preach. I'm a child of the king. I have been adopted into his family. And Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and to lay down his life as a ransom for many. So he asked his disciples, who's the greatest in the kingdom? is one that's to be a servant. And who's going to be number one in the kingdom is one that will be a slave. So it's not about me. It's not about God giving to me. It's about me serving God, serving others. It's about me being chained to the things of God and not freedom to go out and do and, and get whatever I want. I've died and I'm following Christ. Where did Christ go? He went to the cross. And it was not about the temporal things of this life. It was about the eternal things of his Father. And our lives should be about the eternal things of God. And what do I want to do? I have no desire for a mansion. I already have a mansion that I live in here in Birmingham compared to most of the world. I've seen most of the world. 
and I sing people that don't have running water and they don't have um, electricity. And I'm not talking about a few people here or there. I've seen millions of people that live in that situation. And they, and they live every day to get one meal, to, to have three meals a day for them and their family and their children. So I know how blessed I am for, from a financial standpoint. So I'm not depending on some guy that's living in a $5 million home trying to preach a, a prosperity message saying, don't you want to be blessed? I know how blessed I am in the Messiah. And I know how, much, how blessed I am financially. I'm content with that. I mean, think about it, Alan. How many pairs of shoes do you have? Yeah, at least... At least 10, probably. Yeah. And I, I ask everyone that's listening to me in the Western society, probably everyone has around 10 pairs of shoes. You know, you have one to go jogging. You have another pair of sneakers that look better when you're just wearing. You have sandals. You have flip-flops. You have dress boots. shoes, hiking boots. It goes on and on. And so we are blessed financially, but that's not how we are blessed. I am blessed in the Messiah. And the focus that I need to have in my life is following him. If I'm blessed financially or not. Think about this. Paul, who was living under house arrest for two years, says, I've learned to live in prosperity and I've learned to live in hunger. Now there goes the prosperity teachers. Hey, Paul knew to live in prosperity. But if you read the context of Philippians, when he writes this under house arrest, prosperity is having an abundance of food and all of his needs met. He knew how to live in that, and he also knew how to live in hunger. There were times he lived in, in rented quarters that he had to pay for his own room and board, but he couldn't go outside. He couldn't work. He was dependent on others bringing money in, and there were times that he didn't have food. He was hunger. He was hungry. And he says, but in both situations, I've learned to be content. I can do all things through him who give me strength. So his life was not about going out and um, preaching a message of prosperity. I challenge any person in the Word of Faith movement, show me one sermon in the book of Acts that truly matches that sermon. The book of Acts is 30 to 35 years. What are they preaching? Come to God through Jesus Christ. Know your sins forgiven. See the peace of God upon your life. It's nothing about going out and getting rich. It doesn't have anything to do with the gospel. Jesus' gospel, the early Jewish apostles and their gospel, later on the name Christian is being used for the believers. You don't see this anywhere in their message. And so we need to stay away from it because it will pull you away from the truth and the essence of the gospel. Anything else you want to add to that, Alan, before I'm going to say a few more things here? No, I think I think you you covered it, and I think you know if you're listening and and you are successful, you know, and, and maybe you're wealthy, you're a business owner, or you have something, you know, I don't I don't see that being a, a bad thing, and and you shouldn't come under condemnation for that. But I would just challenge you to always, you know, be be extra careful to check your motives, be extra careful that you know these things in this 
the things you have in this life are not what you're looking at for your satisfaction, your fulfillment. And, you know, as Jesus, you know, mentioned to the rich young ruler, you know, go sell everything and, and give it up. He wasn't willing to do that, you know, and I don't not saying that the Lord's asking you to go sell all your things and, and give everything to the poor. But I would say, you know, make sure that wouldn't be an issue if the Lord said yes. that. And that's a good way to check that motive and say, if, if, you know, the Lord came and spoke to me and said, I want you to give this up and do this, you know, could you do it? And, and really have an honest conversation with yourself um, and, and in your heart and make sure that motive is right. Because if it's not, it's a very slippery slope, um, you know, when, when everything's about gaining and being successful. Um, and the Lord does set up people that, that give back to the kingdom and that are businessmen. And we've seen that in a lot of churches and, and godly men, God-fearing men that love the Lord and are, are doing his will. Um, but, you know, I would just, again, check that and always check that motive. And it's pretty easy to see when you can ask a few questions to yourself. Is this about me and about what I want? Or am I really ready to give it all up for Christ? And just always make sure you're having that conversation. I like the way that you put those things. Um, first, as a believer, everything that we own should, in our, our mindset and from our heart, it is God's. Our home, our cars, our possessions, our children, our families, it belongs to God. And so, and it can be taken from us in a moment's time. So, it belongs to God. And if God comes and says, give it all, like the rich young ruler. Now, in that situation, I believe that Jesus was dealing with what was the most important thing within that rich young ruler's life and it was his wealth. And that was the hindrance between him and a true faith and really following Christ. He wasn't able to do that. I also want the businessmen, I agree with you fully, uh, not to feel bad because, um, not just businessmen, not to feel bad because they are wealthy financially. Like I said, you and I are wealthy compared to most of the world today. It's not something that we feel badly about. But just praise God for God's provision within your lives. And uh, one other thing I want to add, that some people that are very successful in business and with money, they believe that they can change the world by giving a lot of money to Christian ministries and to missions and things like that. So this is, we've got to, ministries have to have money. And I say, absolutely not. One of the biggest hindrances to the gospel going forth is all the money we have. And I'm a strong advocate if someone has a call of God upon their lives, send them out with not anything. That's exactly what Jesus did with the 70 or the 72 disciples. He sent them out trusting that God was going to take care of them. And God did as they were ministering the gospel. So many ministries and so many churches have so much money they don't need God. So many missions organizations have so much money they don't really need God, and they're living in a very soft situation. And so I have seen money do more damage overseas bringing the gospel than any other thing. And so do not think. Now, money can be used in a wise way, 
But do not think that because I have all this money and I'm giving to this ministry or to missions or to this church that I'm doing great things for God. God is not interested in your money. He's interested in your heart first and foremost. And so let that be the sole understanding of your blessing and your walk with God. Not because I'm giving a million dollars a year to this ministry. You may be doing more damage with that money than you never thought possible. Yeah. Yeah. You may be doing a lot of good. I'm not saying you're not doing good. But your walk with the Lord, your relationship with God, there's not a substitute with a daily walk and contentment with the Lord and a heart relationship with God. If you're very su- successful financially, be single-focused, have tunnel vision. It's all about Him. Everything that I have belongs to God, and God, it, in a second, it can be gone. It's all yours. Whatever you ask me to do, I do it for your glory. And, I was, uh, I'm just uh, laughing to myself. I was thinking, um, a pastor used to say, you know, the Lord can use a donkey, um, you know, to minister like he did in the Old Testament. He doesn't need your money. You know, right. he doesn't need your success. He can take anything um, and use it. And if you're willing, he'll do it for you. And, it, yeah, it's not about, yeah, giving or what you have to give. And he just wants a willing heart, and that's right. it. Yes. And I looked for young men that had the mentality so many of them overseas had the mentality, well, I, I, we can't do this without finances, without money. And I would say to them, I would say, then, it's, then it won't be done. But every once in a while, there would be a young man or a young woman that would come up and say, we don't know how this is going to be done, but to God's glory, we're going to step out of faith and we're going to do it. And we're going to trust that God's going to provide and God will protect And those young men turned the world upside down. You could see them. Whether I have money or not, we're going to do it. And it's it's a faith within inside of them that, Lord, we're going to die to ourselves. We're going to go out whether we have food to put on the table or not. God, you are our provider, and we're going to preach the gospel, and we're going to live the life of Christ. And I've seen young men like that change a whole city. And the other ones are still waiting for sponsorship to come. <laughs> and then you see the finances grow from within instead of from without. And you see the multiplication that takes place in their work, and they're starting other churches and other churches, and, and they're starting churches, and the multiplication is just incredible because they knew that they could start without having all the finances to back them up. They knew that God could provide for them. They were called by God, and God could do the work. Amen. So we need to not just preach that. We need to believe it ourselves. I just like for men and women to show up with just them in their suitcases and say, God called me here. Let's go to work. And they will see God's provision upon their lives. I believe that. And there may be days of hunger they go through, but that will build their faith as they continue to trust God. Now, Alan, and for those that are listening, I'm probably, we're getting some people really angry at us, but one of my favorite sayings, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you really mad, but it will set you free. Anytime the truth hits us, initially sometimes we get angry with it, but when we begin to think about it, 
it really starts to take root. Yes, this, this is right. And what we're saying to you is right. Our lives is not about any physical gain, financial gain. It's about taking up our cross and following the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to go to 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we'll end on this chapter, maybe the first 11 verses. And Paul is writing to Timothy between 63 AD and 67 AD. 2 Timothy is his last letter before he dies. And Paul is going to be executed. He's going to have his head cut off. And so it doesn't sound like a lot of prosperity there. And he's going to spend the end of his life in a hole in the ground in a dungeon before he's executed. So let's go to verse 1. Paul is writing to Timothy that's going to be taking the gospel and representing Paul. And what Paul has invested in Timothy, Timothy is going to have to invest in others. He says in verse 6, All who are under the yoke as slaves are to regard their own masters as worthy of all honor so that the name of God and our teaching or our doctrine will not be spoken against. Those who have believers as their masters must not be disrespectful to them because they are brethren, but must serve them all the more because those who partake of the benefit are believers and beloved. Teach and preach these principles. Most of the people coming to faith under the Roman Empire, a large percentage of them were slaves. Take the city of Corinth. Corinth was about 650,000 in population. 400,000 of them were slaves. So in the Roman Empire, a lot of people in bondage are getting saved. And we're seeing this take place. And you're seeing slave owners getting saved. And those that are slaves getting saved. And we are going to see this in Philemon and Onesimus later on when we go through the New Covenant. But what is important is our witness. Whatever situation that we're in, that our witness that we do the right thing in whatever situation that we're in. Verse 3. If anyone advocates a different teaching or doctrine and does not agree with sound words those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness. It's all about living a life pleasing unto God. This person, he is conceited and understands nothing, but he, the one that doesn't understand, has a morbid interest in controversial questions and dispute about words. They get into word theologies out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth. Here is the problem. Who suppose that religion or godliness is a means of gain. And the whole context here is financial gain. That as our life as believers, Paul is writing to Timothy, these men that twist things, they do word theologies like rhema versus logos and all of these kind of things, they're always involved in disputes and arguments, twisting the scriptures, but it's all about financial gain. Who suppose that godliness is a means of financial gain. But, verse 6, godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. 
When we talk about the things in our lives, it's always about contentment. If I'm living in a shack and I do not have running water and I do not have electricity, can I get up in the morning and say, God, thank you for this shelter that I have within my life? Thank you, God. And you see in the prosperity message, they're saying no to contentment, and they're saying God has something better for you. You need to have faith to get the better house. But we need to learn to be in contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. The word of faith, the prosperity gospel, is all about things. And that prosperity preacher that has a $5 million home, how much of it is he going to be able to take with him? Nothing. And probably his children are going to ruin their lives fighting over the inheritance, fighting over what's, what they're going to get. Sometimes that takes place. But he is not going to be able to take anything with him. I met a believer one time that says, when I die, I hope that everything that I have accumulated in this life, at the end, it is completely gone. I've given it all away. This was a man that learned to be content within his life. Verse 9. Verse No, let me go back to verse 7. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, shelter, with these we shall be content. Praise God. Amen. Yes, we have food, we have shelter. Praise God. Let's be content. Now, Paul even learned to be content when he didn't have food. So that was on a whole different level when he was there in Rome writing this letter to the Philippians. Verse 9, But those who want to get rich, this is the problem in the prosperity gospel. They put, they're constantly putting money out in front of people, even out in front of the unbelievers. If you're not saved, send in your seed faith money, and you'll see God bless you, and you'll see what we're preaching is true. What is the motivation? They want to get something more financially. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. This is what happens in the Word of Faith movement. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. This is what happened out of those that came out of Ramah, out of Haganism, out of uh, Kenneth Copeland, and going to Mike Murdoch, and so many of these guys, as they, they went and they dangled money in front of them, and that became their gospel. Many of them, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith. That's not Scott Martin saying it. That's the Word of God. This is what Paul is saying to Timothy and warning him not to get involved in this type of gospel. Verse 11, we'll end on this verse. But flee from these things. What are these things? Longing for money, the love of money, pursuing of money, and thinking that your walk with the Lord is a means to financial gain. What we should be pursuing is contentment. He says, but flee these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, 
godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. And we'll stop there. And if anything, any movement is pulling you away from this, this focus within your life, and you find yourself pursuing money, or you mentioned earlier at the beginning, health. I praise God that God healed my my mother. I praise God that God healed my son at three years of age, just completely, instantly of asthma. I praise God for that. But my pursuit is not upon wealth or health. That is not my focus. What is my focus? Deny myself, take up my own cross, and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. He went to the cross. I should be willing to go to the cross. I should live a life of contentment, not pursuing those things, but pursuing righteousness and godliness and the things that truly represent the character of God. And if we do those things, God's going to use us. And if we find ourselves pursuing other things, then we're going to get off track. Amen. If you're in the Word of Faith movement, you need to examine everything that you believe right now, all of your systematic theology, all of your conclusions by the Word of God. And do not listen to sermons that use the Bible as a proof text to prove their points. You need to go through and you need to know God's word personally and allow God's spirit to direct you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, break us of everything that binds us. God, accept that which binds us to your heart, your service, and to your will. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you'd like to learn more about IGM or have any questions about this podcast, feel free to reach out to us at info at integritygm.com and connect with us on Instagram at integrity underscore global and Facebook at Integrity Global Missions. If you like our podcast, please share it and leave a review. Thank you for listening. Have a blessed day.